0: Welcome to the Related to Geeks book club. This month's book is Dark Lord of Dirkholm by Diana Wynn-Jones. Dad, how'd you feel about this book?
1: Um, I loved it. Um, Every so often, you know, I read uh, a children's book that hits at all levels. And this is one of those really great um, story, uh, good, you know, Character development is a thing, you know. Um, it's uh, just short of coming of age, you know. It's a, it's a definitely YA. I would say even children's. So, um, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's it's on the brink enough that a couple of times while I was listening to it, I was just like, "Is this gonna be like?" super adult because there's enough things every now and again that I think it's going to that range even though when I started out and kind of thinking about the author and other works I I, I imagined it was going to be for a younger read but it's just enough at that cut off right mm-hmm. um, this says it recommends it for like 12 to 18 as a starting point for reading this some people say as young as eight. Um, but I did like there was a couple of times when I was uh, in the middle of this book that I was just like something like super like is something about to happen that's going to make this super not a not a children's children's book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> is but- there, Are we really going to get into some super dark stuff? And there is some stuff in there, but it's not explicit, I guess the word I'm looking
1: for yeah he he walks up to the edge where an adult reader or listener um can see where it's going but then it never gets distinguished to where somebody who has no idea what he's talking about ever finds out yeah so he uh or she I mean um, she yeah yeah she uh um she obviously has a level you know, a, a place mm-hmm. where she's not going to go, you know, either. Uh, I mean, without um, uh, death in the story, the story isn't there. You know, um, uh, there have to actually be uh, people being killed to to justify the plot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, I could tell. I was pretty sure you know right away probably by the second chapter that this wasn't going to be one of those books where the main characters get killed off or anything you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that more than any specific item or or point at this paragraph or that paragraph is what it allows it to remain a children's book. I think it'd be a good read aloud book.
0: It's uh a. it's definitely that level of um, I don't know. It's not quite as as absurd as other things, but it's it 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 pushes towards that direction. It feels a lot like uh, like I get a lot of the same feelings reading this that I would reading a Discworld novel, um, and it's it's got that wonderful level of self awareness. Uh, due to the nature of how the how the world is set up in relation to our world that I really appreciate
1: yeah i uh, I also saw the similarity between the setting and Pratchett um, which um, now the house moves been castle I did not feel was at all like uh Terry, Pr- Terry Pratchett setting um.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I haven't read it since high school, but I was reading Pratchett at the same time, and I don't remember really relating those.
1: But this one is a lot like Pratchett in that um, uh, things that are fantasies on Earth are real there. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of like a, a alternate Earth with magic.
0: Yeah. I think the key is, is the self-awareness. But it's not like oh, this is a story set in a fantasy world. No, this is a fantasy story kind of self awareness. But like we're gonna hit all the tropes, we're gonna talk about all the fantasy things, it's all here, it's all part of it. Yeah. Um that's that's the, the self awareness that this book has of what what it is is what makes it feel very Pratchett esque.
1: I agree. Um I mean they explained why dragons have hordes of gold. I mean,
0: yeah, <laughs> I never knew that before
1: <laughs> they they take tropes and they they make them their uh she makes she makes those tropes her own or her own mm-hmm. in her own world anyway and it had a lot of uh oh I mean the arena fight. I'm glad the arena fight mm-hmm. didn't you know go the way it usually does, you know. Um, I thought the arena fight was okay. The mine, you know, all those are. I mean, like, whoa! This is all you know. All the fantasy literature stuff you read about yeah. everywhere. If you like fantasy, well, you know, that's what you. I'll
0: do. tell you, it's when Blade was dressed up in like you know the stereotypical wizard garb and leading the tour and like interacting with all of these you know, people, and it was just like such a weird, surreal, funny situation, and I just really enjoyed that section of of him basically being a, a stereotypical in this world tour guide and dealing with all of these terrible people that don't listen, that aren't where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, and Realizing that he's severely underpaid. Um, <laughs> 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 Just all of the layers there. I really enjoyed that section. Um, like, that was good. And obviously, it was a a, a lot of uh, different character at play there as well, which was fun. I will say, as absurd and self-aware fantasy book it is, I will say that it has a level of realism that most fantasy books, especially like crossover fantasy books where it's our world, their world doesn't have is the fact that we, the way that we work as, as a society that can figure out a way to sell anything that if we gain access, just kind of figure out a way to profit off of it. (laughs) I like the bureaucracy of it,
1: yeah on both uh on both sides um, and the the fundamental criminality of the bad guy and the uh no two ways about it. We're not so sure the good guys are completely good, but that's this bad guy's definitely bad, you know. <laughs> so a very uh, straightforward in a sense and um uh, exciting adventure you know, and you can uh relate to the characters um uh going through life while this stupid thing's going on um mm-hmm. and uh, uh kind of like victory in the end, you know overcoming yeah, it. and there is that uh Uh, a moment, uh, two or three chapters from the end where all is lost and I'm going to go and live in the pig pen. That's great, you know. It's got a lot of funny parts. Mm -hmm. And um, funny fantasy is hard to write.
0: I think for me, the thing that makes fantasy harder to write as, as complete humor is because um, so many of the traditional fantasy tropes tend to be more of a drama. And to, to recognize some of that stuff as humor requires that self-awareness. Um, it's easy, I think, to have a fantasy story that has humorous elements or a humorous character. You know, have the jester type character, just the 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 funny guy um, in a serious world. But to have everybody, like I feel like the people in this story are serious in their own minds, but they come off as quite funny. Um, which is a hard balance to have and I think one of the key elements is like trying to make these fantasy people real enough to where what they're doing isn't just humorous for the sake of being humorous but it's humorous by our standards I think um, Dirk is one of the funniest characters in here and he's very much not really someone who finds himself humorous or finds anything any of the stuff he does very humorous. But the the, the bit where he just, he doesn't want to deal with the the uh, Mr. Chesney at all, and so he just fantasizes about different creatures that he can create anytime <laughs> Mr. Chesney's around, I think is some of the funniest stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um and um he's um he's kinda like the hero. Of course, uh his son and daughter are also and even the Griffins, heroic mm-hmm. in the story. But he's kinda the hero, the protagonist, and yet all of his actions are oh, I guess I gotta do that now. And then yeah. he does that, and it's all he's just even though it's he's very, amazing stuff going on, it's, he's all mundane about it, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think he's one of the best balanced in that humor. Like it's humorous at, to the reader, but to him it's not like he's trying to be funny. Cuz there's I think a lot of times in fantasy stories the funny guy is trying to be funny. The humor mm. comes out of someone who's like is there to add levity and they know that the, the character's self-aware to know that that's their job is to add levity. Um whereas I think a lot of the characters here Find ways to be humorous without them actually trying to, you know, just say a joke to lighten the mood or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. I think um, Suki is another character that made me giggle quite a lot, but she's so that spoiled daughter. I get what I want kind of character she's so real in it but that line where she talks to him and he's just like oh I found the man I'm gonna marry and you'll really like him he's a thief I mean it's just such a (laughs) it's such a sincere like thing from her but it's so funny
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Jeffrey was boring but hey you gotta have someone that's boring Yeah. Competent. Competent is boring, I guess. Um, And uh, I do want another nod to his characters where you were uh, mentioning all the things he was going to do to Mr. Chesney. At the end, uh, the very slight denouement that there is, and he's talking to his wife, Mara, and he says, uh, uh, maybe we'll make a human with wings. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course that would be what we would call angels so that was a pretty interesting little whoa (laughs) you're looking forward you go whoa now this guy's going to invent angels (laughs) yeah and and I think I think there is uh, more to this story but this is a it's a sequel not this is this was designed to end where it ended um but I think there is more written.
0: Yeah. Her. There is there there is a sequel called Year of the Griffin. I'm on the page right now looking mm-hmm. at it. Um and it follows um Elda, which I think is the is that the youngest griffin?
1: Uh-huh. I yeah. That's right.
0: Um and it follows her as she attends university.
1: Oh great, Griffinson College. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's one of those things where they're technically it's it's like Howl's Moving Castle and its sequels, which are kind of. I mean, you don't really have to read them in order in in to get the story. You can just uh, kind of read them haphazardly. Um, she's very much of that kind of style of writing sequels where it's like, yeah, it's in the world and some of the same characters, but you're not gonna be completely lost if you haven't read the other one
1: yeah uh, a different story Mm -hmm. with a similar background so um dirk's wife mara was a very interesting character and she actually went through character development and all that in our minds and yet she was very rarely on screen so to speak
0: yeah I will say, when it comes to the characters, across the board, I think that even the ones that are intentionally not fleshed out very well are really, like, fitting for this story. Because I think there was a very much intentional decision to make some of these characters just this is their like one dimensional characteristic that applies to them. And that's what they are. And to not necessarily have uh, big character arcs for all of these characters. But I think it's very fitting for this type of story of, of the fantasy trope story is to also have all of these kind of tropey characters thrown in there as well. And then just have a few that really have a journey.
1: Yeah. And, um, You know, um, while uh, Blade and Shona, I believe, uh, his sister, uh, Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, grew up in front of our eyes while we read of their adventures and their their problems and went through stuff, you know. um, Dirt pretty much stayed the same. He was Mm -hmm. still dirt, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting, too, and a, and a nice um, counterpoint, you know. Um,
0: well, and I think that that goes back to the, like, he's not, like, for me, it felt much more like Blade's story, the Dirk story, um, even though Dirk is, in a lot of ways, the main character, Yeah, but, but Dirk think, is very static.
1: I think there's more time in the novel following Blade, too. Yeah. Blade Blade and Shona but Blade mm-hmm. especially had a lot of the really heavy adventures and was, you know, discovered what was going on so to speak, you know. And in a young adult setting, it's always the young adult that's the protagonist, oh, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I can I can dig the old wizard. I can say okay, he's the protagonist.
0: <laughs> I've I like him stuff. a lot. I, I like having a character that's already kind of gotten past all of their awkwardness and just like he's still awkward but he's like self-aware awkward and just is okay with it at this point. Yeah. Like isn't isn't really self-conscious about the fact that everybody you know thinks oh man this guy. Um <laughs>
1: That animal guy. Like,
0: he just he just does his thing, and he's cool with it.
1: Doesn't even make things explode.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the, the, the telling thing about this story is that, it, like, everybody seems to look down on him, yet everybody also, like, wants all of the cool stuff he makes. Um, <laughs> like, everybody's like, oh, man. That Dirk, he's just he's just not really useful for anything. But anytime they go and see any of the creatures they make he, that he makes, they're just like, "Oh, that's cool! I want one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like that, please."
1: <laughs> he's the best wizard in this story, but uh, I guess Scales would have to be the most powerful wizard in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, I guess uh, uh, Blade and Kit are. Uh, soon to overcome Dirk in power because they actually want to learn what Scales has to teach, and Dirk really doesn't. Yeah, care. Dirk really doesn't care about that stuff.
0: Dirk Dirk is just the weird, like hermit wizard who has his one thing that he really likes, and he doesn't really care about any of the other things. Yeah, and that's established very early on when Blade is talking about going to university because he wants to be well-rounded. He wants to learn all of the things. He doesn't want to just be set in one path, doing one
1: thing. So he views Dirk as being stuck, and Dirk views himself as being fulfilled. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's actually doing what he wants and making the things he wants, and they're really his family, you know, so that's really...
0: Yeah, like, I mean...
1: That's a weird thing, too, is having the... um, different creatures be brothers and sisters kitten they'd be brother and sister wrestling from 2 years old on you know
0: yeah well i think i think the thing that makes it weird to me is that it's just the griffins <laughs> they're the only ones that get the children's status really yeah, yeah. <laughs> the flying pigs they're just yeah <laughs> They're not cool enough. They're not griffins. I can't call that my kid.
1: <laughs> well, we don't know whether he, uh, you know, where he got the um, DNA or whatever, the cells. I think they yeah. use the word cells to uh, make the flying pigs or the uh, the obnoxious geese. I forget what they're actually called, but I love that it, some of his characters didn't quite come out right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh I love the bit about the cats. The cats was fabulous.
1: <laughs> and then another little funny thing that uh, I liked was uh uh Dirk was having all these tourists come through and kill him one after another and uh he got tired of falling down in that flaming um ditch but uh or slot whatever it was there by the door but he was too tired to Make up an easier way to kill himself. <laughs> he too tired to figure out how to change it, so he just did it over and over anyway, even though he was tired of it. Yeah.
0: I liked that there was an activist in one of the tour groups that was just like we can't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> that also like was real. <laughs> yeah.
1: There was um uh There was a confluence uh, that uh, she created, you know, where uh, you know, because for change to occur, you know what I'm saying, it wouldn't have been enough just to be Dirk, you know, you you had to have scales, you had to have the the people from the other side, from Mr. Chesney's Mm -hmm. side, that were pushing their strings and pulling their buttons and doing their investigations. And at the same time, you had to have um the ladies totally messing up the dill, you know, and all that going on too. so it had to and that and they had to be discovered in their thievery of the magic. all that had to happen for this to work out, so there's definitely a uh like a locus of of powers, all of them wanting to put an end to this uh, exploitation of this world. Um, And uh, it's it's easy to see where, you know, if it had fell through on Mr. Chesney's side and there'd been no control from there or no pushback from there, he could have just wrote it out and, you know, continued doing what he was doing. But uh, uh, since there were, even his kids ended up being... And that's something I didn't uh, see that. I didn't see, I saw the kids being who they were, you know, but I didn't see them being Mr. Chesney's kids until that was revealed. Mm -hmm. There are surprises in the plot. Um, The ending is not foregone. And when I read these kinds of stories, sometimes I'm wondering, you know, uh, well, I wonder how he's going to, or she's going to make this work out. You know what I'm saying? I wonder what the author's going to do. Yeah, there's a
0: there's a I think there's a phenomenon about like there's certain books that you know how it's going to end, but but you're not sure how they're going to get there. Like what what dominoes are going to fall to get to that end? Mm -hmm. Like like you said, pretty early on, you were pretty comfortable in saying, oh, you know, okay, these are our heroes. They're going to survive. This is our bad guy. He's Mm -hmm. pretty obviously the bad guy. Yeah, so you kind of know right the off the bat bubble. what the what the final state of the book is, but the the weird roundabout way to get there is is the real discovery when reading those types of stories.
1: Yep, yeah. that to me is was a interest in in one. Okay, what weird stuffs? I mean, how are these geese going to affect the story next? That kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. Um, uh, but also, the you know you knew Blade was going to have to do something. Kit was going to have to do something, you know that stuff had to happen to be the right story. you know you kind of knew the the feeling for the shape of it, you know, but you didn't know the details, and I like that.
0: I had something else I wanted to talk about, and I cannot remember it because <laughs> this is, this is the way my day's going.
1: This is the way our day always is. <laughs> I walk into a room and I wonder why did I come in here? So I have to go back to the other room, get back to what I was doing before I remember what I was. Then I have to get up and walk back in there and hopefully not forget again.
0: Oh, I remember.
1: Okay. Yay.
0: <laughs> I remember. This is, this is, I think, what makes this a true coming-of-age story. Because we talked about it's not quite a coming-of-age story. Yeah. I'm going to argue that this is probably the realest coming-of-age story ever. From Blade's perspective, when he starts looking at the figures and he starts asking around about how the money is exchanging hands and things like that. I think that's the realest coming-of-age story for anybody when they realize, Wait. You're saying that as an adult, I could get a job and work my tail off and be making, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to the guy above me.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Like, I think that's the hard truth that everybody has to face as a as a as a young adult and uh, that was that was something like he he worked through for a while in the story even like <laughs> asking around anytime he come across somebody just like how much do you get paid for this and they were like not enough and he's just like yeah that's what i expected
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean it's just like that's the real tragedy there <laughs>
1: Yeah, and forget he, the
0: torture or the possible murder and all that. That's the real. That's the real stuff there. When you realize, oh man.
1: <laughs> and um, uh, and it wasn't just that he realized it and got that knowledge, but then he deducted from that and used that. Follow the money to figure out what uh-huh. the hell was going on and what was driving it. So there yeah. had to be there had to be a reason there had to be something driving it. Somebody had to be making a lot of money somewhere even to under underpay everyone this much. You know, you're Yeah, underpaying everyone. It's still a lot of people and a lot of expense yeah. involved. But, um, yeah, I agree. His um, his eye opening about the money. Now, that's not something you expect to see a lot in a fantasy novel. I think there was. um a feist novel that had a um a hero that was a merchant and a banker and all that and yeah you got it but mostly you don't in fantasy novels
0: you certainly see poverty a lot yeah but you don't see that that person that's actually thinking huh there's like a there's like a Paper trail I could follow here yeah. to try to figure out where this money went, uh, kind of level of sticking it to the man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I think it's I think it's fitting in this story that the two richest figures in it are this uh, guy who's monopolizing this tourist attraction. You know, basically mm-hmm. is the ultimate. The man, you know, Mm -hmm. CEO kind of figure, and then the thief. (laughs) 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 Who is actually revealed to be the richest person, (laughs) which I thought was a nice reveal. (laughs) (laughs) Because it turns out, no matter how much you try to monopolize something in a fantasy world, the thief is still going to figure out a way to steal enough money to be richer. That's the way that's the that's the life of the head of the thieves guild is that they were going to figure out a way to be the richest.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, uh, After a while, every time uh, he came on screen, I saw Bruce Campbell.
0: (laughs) I like it. I'm looking through this list of tropes. Uh so TV Tropes has a li- has a full list of tropes uh that you can find in this book and I was l- fl- looking through it and uh apparently one of the the tropes is just called let me instant awesome just add dragons um <laughs> So apparently that's a designated trope by uh, by TV tropes is that if you want to if you want to make whatever you're doing instantly awesome, all you have to do is add dragons, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is true.
1: (laughs) Yes. And and I think any story,
0: just add dragons.
1: (laughs) And I think she um, brought in the dragons at appropriate points, you know, and at the end you had a whole awesome field full of dragons there. I mean it was pretty clear who had the fire firepower there at that final confrontation
0: mm. well there was also the um the uh the the demons right
1: yeah who turned out Which, to be a good guy too that's pretty interesting that's a twist usually demons are never good guys
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, usually I only expect this kind of uh, level of morality and and demon lore from something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like that it um, it has like this crazy, like seven different people with their agendas coming to a head at the end. Unfortunately, I was interrupted while I was reading that section, so I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but it it was, a, uh, I think, a very fitting, especially when you kind of look at it mirrored at the beginning, where you have a bunch of people coming together, trying to decide who needs to be the Dark Lord, and then wow. at the end, you also kind of have this council-like encounter at the end, where they're trying to figure out what to do next. Um, it bookends the book quite nice. Yeah. But yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. I liked I liked the characters. I liked the tropiness. I liked the absurdity of it. I think it was it was fun. It was funny. It didn't outstay its welcome. A- a- anything like there's, I think you mentioned a couple of times there was a couple of sections that had they ran a little longer you would have been like ugh but it 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 was paced well enough to keep those bits moving along um and uh i don't know i really liked dirk dirk was i think my favorite um <laughs>
1: um it was a well thought out and planned story it was very craftsman like and um definitely uh uh shows her skills um in in writing a story like this with humor all the way through it and a morality play and uh, um, a little uh, pull back behind the scenes of fantasy literature, you know, mm-hmm. backstage kind of open the curtain a little bit.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting that... Everything, everything's just so intentional, right? Like, even at the very beginning, she's kind of setting it up to be like, okay, so here's, there's gonna be clear, like, divisions, right? And everything like that. So we're gonna have an oracle that's like the dark oracle and an oracle that's the light oracle. And then your guys, and then these people are gonna decide to go to both of them and talk to both of these oracles. And then that kind of sets that first stage of being like, this isn't, necessarily just a straight up good guy bad guy story like you said the the actual villain of the story is not really villainous in a in a traditional fantasy way because he's villainous in a very modern way of um taking advantage of his workers and taking advantage of a world that doesn't have established rules or or requirements for uh, work or travel, you know, stuff that people do in this world, you know, all the time. That if if they figure out that legally they can do something that isn't ethically sound, but it's not illegal, so they're gonna go ahead. Like I mean, he's talking about his lawyer at the end. He's just like, I'm covered. I've covered. I we've done all of this. We've already done. There's no. There's no actual like regulations here, so I I'm good. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's your that's your evil guy. But all of like your your main cast of characters kind of bend the rules on who's good, who's evil. They're not like really falling into any of those tropes. And so I think it's funny that it it starts out with the tropiest of tropes of just like oh, here's this Oracle of Ultimate Light and this Oracle of Ultimate Dark. And it's just... It's so on the nose with that setup. And then you get through it and and see that the the fantasy characters are actually just straight-up gray, just trying to live their life, just trying to get out of this bad situation, whatever it is from their perspective... And I like that that is, is so visual in that beginning section.
1: Hello, Ekin. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. How's it going here? Going good.
0: Pretty good. <coughs> We're discussing uh, The Dark Lord of Darkholm. Have you read it? Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> Well, we're actually probably wrapping up our discussion. We were just kind of getting to our final thoughts. Uh, it's really good. You should read it. I don't know if you read it all, but it's really good.
1: <laughs> well, what is it about?
0: So it is, without giving too much away, it is kind of almost a full on tropathon fantasy story of this al- alternate fantasy world that our world has gained access to and now does like tours through. Uh, okay. <laughs> there's a there's a lot more layers to that, but that's kind of like the pitch.
1: Kind of like <laughs> a, a fantasy adventure vacation. Or yeah. A, yeah. <laughs>
0: like, you know, all right. these people that want to go and like have a, you know, vacation on a space station. Imagine right. that, but it's like an alternate reality and it's fantasy world and you're going to go and <laughs> See all the f- the the fantasy tropes. You're gonna interact with the fantasy wizards, and you're gonna fight the dark lord and all that stuff.
1: Okay, kind of reminds me. I don't know why it popped in my head, but like almost like The Wizard of Oz, almost but like on tour.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mentioned about this. Is that there's a lot of stories that's uh, that like you know fish out of water story when it comes to fantasy stories where it's somebody from our world that gets transported to the fantasy world and they're experiencing the fantasy world and they're just like, Oh, this is so crazy. But I think this one is the realist because somebody did that and they were like, you know what? I could sell that. Um, (laughs) and I'm just like, yep, that's, that's how, how someone would probably react if they went to a fantasy world and they're like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I think I could sell tickets to this. (laughs) Hey dad, what's our next book? Do you know? Yeah. Is it Is it Neuromancer? <laughs>
1: I believe I believe that's what it is.
0: Yeah, Neuromancer.
1: And then Cersei.
0: And then Cersei.
1: So, this time, this quarter we have really two big names. Both Diana Wynne Jones and William Gibson are very well established. Yeah, and isn't Madeline Miller? Mad-
0: Madeline Miller's pretty big too. She's just a lot newer. Newer. Yeah. So she she wrote first. She wrote um, "Song of Achilles." That may not be her first one. That was that was her first big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Circe's her newer one, but she is. I mean she's got over 16,000 followers on Goodreads so she's definitely not a little author.
1: Yeah. And um, we have discussed uh murder bot series on here before. And uh, there's a coming uh, of a new one. Are, yeah, I got I got giving the giving away the old ones toward that I
0: saw I saw that on Instagram that they were doing that.
1: So it's supposed to be um, early next month, um, and uh, almost certainly will be available on Overdrive everywhere mm-hmm. uh, because of the uh, the other four. The first four murder bots are. Have you read that yet? I have not. It's really good.
0: Yeah, it's on my list. There's a several of those like novella series that I want to get to I really want to get to the Binti series as well
1: it has a lot of humor in it too um, uh, but um, not all the way through like the um, Dark Lord was pretty humorous all the way through every chapter was humorous you know yeah uh, Always.
0: it was clearly it was clearly a uh, written with the intent to be humorous yeah yeah, I think there is a distinct difference between a serious book with a lot of humor in it and a book that's designed purely to be humor that might have some dramatic moments in it, but is still just straight-up humorous. I mean, I won't lie, I... um. Oh, my God. Is it The Light Fantastic? Is that the second Terry Pratchett book at the end of that one? Like, I'm legitimately, like, choked up when they, like, part ways. Um, like, that's a sad moment for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, but they're buds. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, man. <laughs> but I would never call any of the Discworld books, like serious books. They have serious topics that they address, but they're address them through humor.
1: Yeah. Um, Some heavier than others. Yeah. Uh, The Small Gods, that's a pretty tough one. But also still full of humor, so.
0: Yeah. I think that that's really, like, a true talent is to, to have a message like a true like this is something i i stand behind you know whether it's a political message or just a human rights message or whatever that you're presenting um but to present in such a comedic way is really difficult to do
1: (laughs) yeah and that's what that's what pratchett always did and uh, that's what Diana Wynne Jones does too, especially in this book.
0: Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot there's a lot of messaging hidden in it, for sure. Like I said, it is the realist of the fish out of water fantasy stories because, obviously if somebody who was savvy enough got access to a fantasy world and realized that you could travel back and forth, they would instantly think, Oh, well, I'm going to market this. <laughs> this is going to be a good line of income for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was a, um, a, a science fiction veneer over fantasy tropes. Um, yeah. a kind of a,
0: because it even uses like it uses that. credits, right, as currency, which is very sci-fi yeah. to use credits as currency for the for the human world. So, I have something that I want to talk to you about that doesn't really have anything to do with this book specifically, but it was something I was thinking about. Okay. When you'd have the the fantasy versus science fiction argument. Um and like, when does when does fantasy become science fiction? When does magic become science? And uh, I think that there is n- there is always going to be a scenario where magic can be explained scientifically. Like people will f- will look at it hard enough and dissect it enough and get to the point where they can put some science behind magic. So I think there is always a a transitional thing where it's not so much magic versus science. It's just the point of view of the characters at that point. because I think that directly relates to our history as well, where there's a lot of stuff that used to be viewed as magical, right? that as we've discovered more about and 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 learned more about, we can explain it scientifically. And I think no matter how crazy or over-the-top your magic is, I think there is a point in society that if that magic persists and people research and study it long enough, they will come up with some scientific way to explain it. So that was, that was what I wanted to tell you.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: that was a moment I had the other day.
1: When, <laughs> um, when you look at um, human civilization... Uh, pre-scientific societies almost all perceived magic and um, magic was just a part of their daily Mm -hmm. life belief system and um, uh, it's one thing to say and then we developed and we got smarter and we could explain that magic uh, scientifically or maybe we uh, got into a technological world where we didn't have to yeah. get in those situations anymore, and we no longer saw the magic. Doesn't mean the magic's not there. Uh, yeah,
0: it, it's it, not it, there
1: it, to human perception. And it allows it me to,
0: to, yeah, it allows me to say that the difference between magic and and science is purely semantics, which I really like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's fun, um. <laughs> and uh, I think in a way it's true. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, pre uh, pre technological societies um, perceived a different reality than we mm-hmm. perceive. We can't think that reality is static underlying what we're perceiving, and and. Pre-technological societies lived in the same world we do at all, not whatsoever. Um, so it's a pretty uh, science is uh, pretty well explained. What science? Yeah. Um, well, I Meant well understood, but it is a part of human historical experience.
0: And the truth is, if you get down to like some of the most traditionally magic stuff like um alternate dimensions <coughs> is a big one right mm-hmm. but that's also something that's hugely pursued in science i mean
1: <laughs> yeah it's <a>, uh <laughs> it's a science fiction trope and it's also a actual science theory that's going on right now mhm
0: but i'm just saying if we lived in a world where we had wizards with magic wands and we had demons and dragons and all that stuff, we would have scientific explanations for all of that at that, at this point, it would all, we would, we would have a way to explain it. It may not be accurate, but we would have a scientific way to explain it. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: That's, uh, that's what was happening at unseen university. Um, the, uh, Older wizards were being displaced by the younger wizards who were taking a technological approach mm-hmm. and explaining magic. <laughs> but the cameras had little imps in there that painted real fast. <laughs> yeah, I just love that stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah like the first the first definition of magic that comes up when i google it is the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious and supernatural forces so that just means that on surface level it looks like that's poofing out of nowhere that's the apparent action that's being taken is that you're just poofing that magic stuff out of nowhere I'm just saying we had wizards. We would have a scientific explanation for everything that they do at this point. We would have we would have had we would have come up with something
1: <laughs> right, wrong or in between.
0: yeah, well, and I think I mean it speaks to just our need to understand. It's very hard for us to just be like, yeah, it's just wizarded open there's no there's nothing there it's just magic I think there's a line from the very first episode of Buffy Will Giles says something along the lines of people tend to rationalize what they can understand and forget what they can't
1: yeah
0: or something along those lines
1: or not even see it at all
0: yeah but it's just a great moment because like they have this huge encounter with like a bunch of people in a public place and vampires and, and they're just like, nothing's ever going to be the same. And then the next day, everything's the same. And Charles and Buffy are just like, yeah, this is how it works. <laughs> people just forget. They don't. <laughs> they explain away the bits that they they can and then the stuff that breaks that explanation, they just forget.
1: What else are you going to do? Yeah. You can't doubt your own sanity, or I guess you could.
0: I think what's really interesting is when you start breaking down magic systems between hard and soft magic systems. Uh Uh-huh. And you start getting into that, you know, where there are magic systems that have a very scientific approach to them, like the super hard magic systems that have those rigid rules in place. That's yeah. just straight up science.
1: Full Metal Alchemist.
0: Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist. I would say that um, uh, the Mistborn trilogy. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a thing that gets taught.
0: Yeah. Though so that doesn't necessarily mean a, a hard magic system because Harry Potter is also a thing that exists. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kind of like the equivalence magic systems. No such Uh thing as a free free launch. You're going to pay for it one way or another. Uh, It gets paid for. Um, But that's not all there is. You know, that's just one kind of magic system.
0: I tend to be a fan of magic systems in the sense that The magic itself isn't one way or the other, but there is just a natural thing that happens with people when they have power to where they feel like they can control or manipulate situations that start bending their understanding of morality and often lead to people getting corrupted by magic. But it's just the nature of how power works. That if you realize that something is within your means to control, that it's just kind of human nature, that a lot of people will be like, oh, well, I can just do this thing. So I'm going to do it and not really think about what it is I'm doing because it's just something as simple as, you know, and you see that in modern society, too, where people are just like, oh, I can afford this, you know, six bedroom house for me my husband and our one child i might as well just do that (laughs) yeah without really thinking about (laughs) what it is they're doing (laughs) that was a really weird comparison but i mean there's a lot of that kind of stuff is this that if people have access to things that's easy enough that's simple enough for them to attain They will do it without really thinking about the consequences. And I think that that's the whole idea of magic being a very corruptive force is that if I can, like I've I've said a million times before, if I was a Jedi, I would just be the laziest person ever because i could just like poof stuff to me all the time. I'd be like, I don't want to cross the room to get my drink. I'm just going to jedi it over to myself. <laughs> I'll just be fat and lazy and make all these terrible decisions. <laughs> Cuz I can just move stuff around me.
1: <laughs> but in a, an equivalent system, then <laughs> it's probably more work to magic it over to you than to just get up and get it.
0: Yeah. You have to draw all those circles. Yeah.
1: But I'm not so sure about Jedi stuff, whether it's equivalence or not.
0: Oh, oh, it is. The Force is like the softest, loosest, most make-it-up-as-you-go magic system ever, which makes me so happy when any mm-hmm. fans are just like, "You can't do that. The Force can't do that." I'm just like, "The Force can do whatever it wants to. It's the Force." <laughs> that's the whole point of it (laughs) like the entire time through the entire series they just make stuff up you're like yeah the force could do that why not (laughs) (laughs) that's always been a thing in star wars (laughs) (laughs) there's never been a a situation i think where they sat down and been like okay so here's the limits (laughs) (laughs) here's what you can't do with the force I've never seen that scene in any of the Star Wars movies (laughs) I like getting into Star Wars one of my favorite aspects of the force is this concept of balance of this idea that the reason you have a bunch of good guy Jedi's who aren't very good Like, just aren't as powerful as these super, like, crazy powerful Dark Jedis. Is because the balance isn't necessarily a numbers, it's just a straight-up power thing. And the Dark Side has figured out that if they have fewer people, the Force has to balance itself somehow. So they just naturally become more powerful. So the Dark Side gets to the point where they... they. Specifically, like, the, the 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 top guys, the top Force users on the dark side, don't take on a bunch of apprentices, don't train a whole bunch of people because they want to keep power from themselves as much as possible. And when somebody, like, talked about looking at the Force that way, I was just like, that is so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, so when Darth Vader killed the Emperor... It wasn't because of Luke. It was because he wanted more dark force power. Yeah!
0: (laughs) Makes that whole movie make a whole lot more sense.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then he had so much dark force power, he could pretend to be a good guy and stand there dead next to (laughs) (laughs) Obi-Wan.
0: I think... I don't like the Star Wars movies. But I love like dissecting the lore of the Star Wars movies. Cause they're it's just like there's so many things there that I think if it was tweaked just a little bit, it would be absolutely amazing. But they just always misstep and never actually really do enough with the lore that I'm just like, yeah, that's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> huh. But I love the force, I think it's fascinating. But it's not, like, there's nothing actually explained by, about it anyway. Like, all you can do, the, th- the reason it's fascinating to me is it's not really explained, and you can just sit and speculate about it for hours, and, like, put all of this stuff on the way it works, or the way it works in your mind, or how the balancing of the forces actually comes into play, and things like that. And I think that that's, that's where Star Wars gets really interesting to me. I've often said I don't really like Star Wars, but I love the the behind-the-scenes Star Wars stuff.
1: Uh, I love the space opera. That's what I love. I love the visualization of all the science fiction stories, you know, rocket ship stories and all that. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like the visualization, the the, um, the bringing... um, these more or less vague concepts you know uh, to life to where you can see them
0: all right I don't know if you're going to get any kind of podcast out of this dad it was a little bit all over the place
1: (laughs) yeah we'll see so anyway uh, enjoyed it great talking to you again and uh, we'll see you soon Mm -hmm. on, on the phone or the internet one yeah Okay. Take Night. care. Night! Night. You have been listening to the Related to Geeks book club, recorded April 20th, 2020, in the Gamer Plus chat rooms at Tenkars Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit relatedtogeeks.com. For more information about Inspired on Reality, join Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers, at GamerPlus.org. Megan and Larry discussed The Dark Lord of Dirkholm by Diana Wynne-Jones. The music for this show is Sympatical by Harry Larry, recorded at the ASU Fine Arts Recital Hall on October 28, 2014.